Hello and thank you for downloading this week's episode of Sorry You're In My Seat. Before the show starts, don't forget to like and subscribe for a new episode each and every week. We leave no stone unturned on the quest to find the greatest movies of all time. And if you're on social media, don't forget to like us. We are at S-Y-I-M-S underscore podcast. That's Sorry You're In My Seat underscore podcast. We'll see you there. Thanks. And thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Sorry You're In My Seat, a weekly podcast in two best friends on a quest to find the greatest movies of all time. I'm your host Aaron and each week I have the pleasure of talking movies and films with my best buddy James. Hello there. This is episode 167 of the podcast. James, what are we doing? Well, you know, it's, we're approaching that time, mate, where it's all about scary movies. It's about bumping the night. It's about that scary shadow. So it's time to look at some some of those horror films that have bypassed us over the years, because this is an annual event. We sat around last year. We took on the big three. We took on Jason. We took on Freddy. We took on Mike Myers. So this year, we thought we'd go for something different. We'd go for the ones that maybe aren't as mainstream or, you know, whichever ones we could find. <laughs> we also, last year, we did Dolls, which I love that episode. Oh, I love that Dolls. Yeah. And we had to record about eight times, so that's always yeah, good. Horror Dolls, that is. And we we did um, Supernatural last year. We, last year we owned Halloween. We did. We I remember that. We did a month, didn't we, to celebrate Halloween. Confession time. Oh. Forgot to watch Halloween movies, James. Oh, did you? Yep. Okay. <laughs> I have seen movies this week to talk about. Do you know what? It's, it's been a week, mate. It's, it's been, been a week. week. I, I watched a yeah, you, Halloween film. You get away with it because you went to the big screen. Did. And you went to the big, big I screen. I went to the biggest screen I could find in the, uh, in the Midlands. And that was an IMAX theatre to watch Venom 2. Uh, let There Be Carnage, Carnage. The Carnage, Carnage, Carnage film. I believe it's Let There Be Carnage. I believe you nailed it That's first time, mate. <laughs> so I am going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about another film that I saw on Netflix and I recommend. There's a documentary that I've seen, a TV series and uh, a horror film. So I have seen so one. that's fine. We've got, we've got information, mate. It's going to come out of us like a shitting goat. <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> a film. But you've seen horror, so you'll cover us with I've horror. I've seen horror. Well. So I went for ones that, do you know what? There is a film that I know that you've seen. And I, I tried to do a something new, something borrowed, something shit. <laughs> something new, something borrowed, something dead. <laughs> yeah, so uh, so I, I, I had a smorgasbord of horror. And they're from, all of them were from uh, the Netflix and one of them was from Amazon. Something new, something <laughs> borrowed, borrowed, and then something shit. And something shit. Yeah. That's the episode title. <laughs> I'm going to try and do this from now on. Uh, actually come up with a title in the show. Yeah. So that people can... Like, we're like, oh, there's the doubt. Mate, know? go back to episode one, James and the Exodus. We used to do that whenever stupid thing I said. And then, yeah. they, and then they got bizarre. <laughs> but them episodes were golden. That was the golden age of the podcast. And now now they're so literal. Like last week was like James Bond, the Daniel Craig films. Well, you knew what you were getting. Exactly. I, I do want to do the Ron Seal approach. Like exactly what it's said. Because then you're not going to get anyone complaining. You're not yeah. going to go, fucking hell, I thought they were going to talk about the Smurfs movie. You know? <laughs> and I'll tell you now, James. No one's talking about the Smurfs movie. I tell you what, though, a few a few weeks ago, and by a few weeks ago, I mean months ago. I mean, it was so long ago that you'd be forgiven for thinking that there might have been more than two of us. It was that long ago. I brought the news on the back of Sonic that fans of the Clifford the Dog movie were angry mm. that the dog wasn't red enough. Well, the trailer's come out and the fans are happy. So that's two. They've went back and they re-edited Clifford the Dog, just like they did Sonic. Six-year-olds everywhere are very happy. <laughs> But they won't listen to my emails about recasting Adam Sandler. No, they won't. Or the big one, Nathan Drake, mate. Oh, Hashtag don't. not it my Drake. Still hurts. Still hurts. 
I like Tom Holland, but he's got it coming. <laughs> you, right. So can we start weirdly with that? Have you heard about what he's come out and said? He said this film perfectly ends uh, the Spider-Man arc. I just think he's playing because Tom Holland is known as the one that spoils things. So I think they've gone have a bit of a play with people. So I think he's done a bit of cheeky. Mate. He's got people invested in a film that, trust me, everyone's invested in. I like the idea as well that he's so naive and dumb, though, that they've just made him do a load of scenes that aren't actually in the movie <laughs> yeah. in case he spoils it. And, I get that. And actually he's like, oh, shit. <laughs> but no, Spider-Man's not going to win. It's a license to print money. It is. You know, with everything that's happening, crossovers and like, and he's like... I'm so glad you used crossovers because point two is coming in a minute. Everyone likes uh, Spider-Man, you know, and uh, Tom Holland's, you know, working really well this Spider-Man. Why would you, why would you exit? And, and he's still at the, like the first part of his career, you know, like he's still got loads of time to branch off and do And do you know what? He does pick good films as well. He does pick some good films. Uh, and then I know, I know he picked up terrible for me so that week. Like Chaos Walking. It <laughs> yeah. was so bad I didn't want to talk about it. <laughs> That's fine. And you don't have to. That's it. There's your review. So no, I completely agree with you. I just think it's I just think it's them playing on the joke. Then even if they did, you know, the idea that they've created some sort of, you know, whatever, mm. we'll wait to find out in December. But talking to crossovers, mate, American fans, Australian fans, you're going to not understand what I'm going to talk about now. Big news released. To combat climate change, EastEnders... Coronation Street, Hollyoaks, Holby City, and Emmerdale are all having crossover stories. You're joking. Boom, mate. It is the MCU of Britain. It's How the only that? thing people are going to be talking about. How they, what do you mean to combat climate change? I, mate, that's it. Right, so that's it. That's all I know. So what's going to happen is to get you into the mood of it, people are going to be reacting. So on EastEnders, you'll see some of the characters um, reacting to a viral video of two Hollyoaks characters. Right. Soon, and it's building up to a crossover episode to give climate change awareness or something like that. Mate, I'll be honest, the article hooked me immediately with the idea of Coronation Street and EastEnders. Because as a kid, I was like, which is the worst place to live? Because at some point you're going to get murdered. (laughs) Yeah. I I remember watching uh, Coronation Street with my family, who still watched the soaps, I'll (gasps) let you know. Mate. And uh, I remember this family moving in on Coronation Street, and within a week, like, one was working at the Knicker factory... (laughs) One one was a mechanic and working on the on the uh, the mechanics on that road, what? and the and the boy had like a job at the corner shop on the same road. I was yeah. like, do people not leave the street? <laughs> what what I loved about what I loved about EastEnders was that it was just in this period of time which could have been the sixties because there was always a car lot, and I never understood why no one bulldozed that put Nando's in. <laughs> it was the most stupid thing ever. When Coronation Street, they had a corner shop that was bought out by. Uh, it was bought out by a shop. I don't think they actually gave it a real name, but it, it went up market, mate. Oh. Ooh. So um, big news there. I know that you're excited about that, obviously. The the MCU getting a bit of British. <laughs> I, I, for the first time ever, I'm starting to embrace the geek that I am. Yeah. And, you know, talked about last week, I went to do a meet and greet with John C. McGinley. I really want to, like, now COVID and lockdowns in the UK has really kind of made me aware that I've been putting off and putting off Comic Cons and that kind of stuff. And we were talking just before we hit record. That's I am certainly going to be going to more Comic Cons and doing more kind of events like that and just embracing the culture, you know, that that is movies, film, cinema, and and just oh my god, you're actually showing me the crossover. Yeah, just because I didn't want anything. No, no, I I, I don't think you've been sniffing glue again. It was up there with uh, (laughs) Captain Kirk going into space. I just had to feel the back. (laughs) I need to back myself up. But um, this was the first time I've ever also uh, joined the live stream for DC fandom. 
Oh, do you know what? I, I have seen the trailers that have come out of it. So that's something we yeah, can do. Yeah, well. it's pretty cool. I've, I've joined the, you know, I, I, I wasn't planning on it. I just, my phone beeped. It was like DC Fandom starting in like two minutes. I just signed in. Did it cost anything? No, no, no. It's that's free. Cool. Like, I mean, they're not, they wouldn't charge for COVID. Because it's, it, well, yeah. it's also, it's their, it's their publicity, isn't it? They want people to, to tune in and see this and share and, you know, get the gossip mill going. I guess that's the problem with the world we live in that I can imagine someone charging for it at some point. Just like you get, you get three seconds extra of the Black Adam trailer, you know, that sort of thing. Well, it, I mean, from what I saw, I mean, it's a long event. So some of the stuff, I, I did see the Black Adam trailer. Have you seen it? I have seen it. And I'll be honest, I was, it's not, it wasn't even a trailer, was it? It was a... It's like a, just a bit more than the teaser we got last year. Yeah, slightly more. The, the teaser last year was like an animated picture. It was like, but this year we actually get to see The Rock. But I didn't think it was The Rock. I thought it was quite small. <laughs> I was like, I thought The Rock was bigger than that. But you see a, you see a man, let's be honest, not happy. Mm. <laughs> not best pleased. Bit, and he also got vibes of Raiden. Yeah. He's the I, best Raiden we've had. Hey, Christopher Lambert is, is Christopher Lambert dead? I was going to say he's wrote, turning in his grave. Lambert's but, still alive. Yeah. Good. Out there making terrible, terrible films, no doubt. I, did you see um, the new Batman trailer? I did see the new Batman trailer. A lot of people, a lot of people like are talking about why you don't see the Riddler's face in it. And because, because they want you to watch the film. Why, mm. why, would they, why don't you see the ending? <laughs> why don't you see the beginning in the middle? A big focus played on, um, placed on uh, the uh, Catwoman, isn't there? Yeah. Can't remember the actress's name, sorry. Uh, it's uh, Fee Kravitz, isn't it? It's, uh, yeah. Uh, and uh, a lot of broody, let's be honest, emo Batman. Mm. But do you know what? I'm, I'm on board. I'm on board. I, do you know what? It's Batman. It's different. It's younger Batman. I'm happy with that. But I was very, very happy to see Alfred with his scar. Yeah. He's looking, he's looking good. He's old. Uh, well, my favourite Alfred so far, shoot me, is Sean Pertwee from the Gotham series. You, and when we did the long episode, the long episode on the long film, you also quite liked uh, Jeremy Irons as well. I did you? like Jeremy Irons because he takes time out of the big storyline to talk about how you make a cup of tea. It's, it's, and that's what you needed a forearm. <laughs> yeah. You needed that. <laughs> yeah. You didn't do it in slow-mo though. So Zach Snyder, he, he got, they got the message, didn't he? No, I, I, that, that trailer looks cool. I think it's kind of squashed the rumours that it isn't the Riddler and it's more... Hush was the original yeah. character that a lot of the, the people online were saying is, but this they clearly there is a, a Riddler yeah. symbol in a, in a cappuccino, which uh, hats off to him for doing that pretty quick yeah. before he gets arrested in I that mean, trailer. The, pro the problem is though, I've been to Starbucks and I've been to, you know, Costa. It's expensive. And if you were just going to get that and just leave it, I'd be paid. But I'm bringing this with me. <laughs> yeah. to, to go, please. It does a very good job of making Gotham look like a shithole. I would really... If, just looking for a time when Gotham isn't shit. Just why would you live there in eternal night? It's got to be. It's got to be cheap housing, doesn't it? It's got. It's got to be. It's got to be the cheapest housing. The um, the Flash trailer looks good. I mean, again, teaser. I haven't seen that one. So that's two Barry Allen's, two uh, Ezra Miller's. Oh, and, right. Uh, and it looks like Supergirl. And they're saying, oh, cool. And they're in the eighty-nine Batcave. Nice. And then you just see the cow from the back. And I think it's Michael Keane's voiceover. Yeah. And they and they talk they come up behind him and they're like they ask him a question like, oh and um and then it cuts and it says coming soon. And then there's a vehicle with a sheet over it, quite clearly the 89 Batmobile. <gasps> and he, the pull, best one. he pulls it off. And just as you see it, it goes to black. He goes, Holy sh and it just ends. And you're like, Oh, it's so good. That is gonna pay like just so much to uh, to geeks like me that love the 89 Batman. I was going to say, that's, that's what's going to go. They're both, both DC and Marvel are going for their own like universe slashing thing. You've got Doctor Strange, but what DC has got in its favourites, it's got those nostalgic films, it's got Michael Keane, it's got that Batmobile. Well, so you've got, 
I mean, I don't know when it's going to take place because it's got to take place obviously after return. So it's not 89 Batman, it's more likely mid 90s. And if it's the Flashpoint storyline where he's going to go back to try and save his mum. So again, I suppose you've got to, Keaton will be old in it. So, you know, and the Batmobile is covered up with a dust rag. So he's obviously no longer being used. I'm fine. Do you know what? I'm fine with it. Take me on the, take me on the journey. I don't (sighs) think you're going to see Keaton in the outfit. Mm, uh, I don't blame him because no. I can't imagine getting it. It was like the first thing he said was like, I'm not going back in that fucking... Yeah. <laughs> and also, unless they're going to use the de-aging technology. Which I don't I kind of want my... I want my Keaton, you know... What I love about Michael Keaton is that he was so huge and then he disappeared off the radar and then he just randomly appeared in that buddy comic that you like, the other guys. Mm. Career back on... And then obviously oh, the did Birdman. Man, and, and, then, and then, you know, I th- weirdly... Bad guy in a Marvel film, you know, he played, mm. I can't remember, is it, is it Hawkman? He I, played I, Vulture, didn't he? He played Vulture. And he just kickstarted him and now he's back. And then yeah. was, but, he, oh, they, but then he was doing like the Adam McKay kind of dramas and, yeah. and stuff. So I'm very excited to see him. He's just got that new one out as well with Stanley Tucci on Netflix where it's after 9-11 and they have to uh, figure out, I think, I could get this wrong, but I think they're looking at the insurance payouts for victims of 9-11 and they're like, how do you put a cost on a life? I think that's the oh, story. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah, Keaton rocks. And then when he appears in movies just like halfway through, you know, and um, just has that like veterany role in it. I, yeah, Keaton's awesome. So that's a big one. And because of all this, or not because of it, they'll never admit it, but Disney have pushed back all of the next phase of Marvel. Oh. So all of them have been pushed back, some only by a couple of months, but others by significant time. So uh, Doctor Strange has been pushed back. Four, four has gone back. I'm actually going to have more time, have, 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 have a play. Do you know what? The thing about superhero films is not going anywhere, but I think everyone kind of appreciates right now it's not a competition, it's about getting the audiences back. Mm. And I think Bond's done a very good job. I know there's a lot of films come out that people are hoping, I believe Halloween Kills is, is getting quite a lot of audience reaction as well. So I think at the moment, Hollywood's kind of been like, let's not go against each other. Let's space these out so that movie goes will come. Yeah, and they've got to take down the Netflix and, and compete with it. Yeah. You know, it's hard enough when you're competing against other studios, let alone streaming sites as well. The future does look good, though, because we were talking about the other week about Netflix. I'm sure Netflix have got the rights to roll dial. I can't wait to see the universe mm. of the Twits. And Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is a TV series. Also, I do want to make, that's the most, of all the news, that's the most excited I've been for something in ages. Yeah, it's an exciting time. And we live in a world now where the possibilities are endless. We get the yeah. crossovers that you could only dream of when you were a kid. You know, it, I mean, it can't be that. I think in our lifetime, we'll probably see, you know, Superman enter Marvel in a weird yeah. uh, crossover uh, that exists only in like a multiverse again. Yeah. I just, why not? It's just, it's it's a great time to be alive. And then on the cusp, we've got Amazon spending the most money ever on, I think there's promises they've made about the Lord of the Rings TV series mm. that are making fans go ballistic. It's a good time to be a fan. Mm. And uh, the DC thing, it was weird. Some of the shots, like the oh, something like the twenty-minute introduction that The Rock did, bored me before yeah, before yeah. he showed it. That that was weird. I weirdly think The Rock stardom is fading slightly because I'm getting a bit bored of him. However, a film like Black Adam is is the exact time, the, the exact type of thing to reinvent himself from action comedy to maybe like a really decent anti-hero. I, I like The Rock. I love The Rock, but I because I follow social media quite a bit now. I, he does do he does this every time. He does this thing and it works. And why would you not do it if it works? And it's this, you know, he does these things. He does it, you know, it's like, this is the biggest move I've ever been involved yeah. in. 
you know, this is game changing. Number one, we're going to break the box office. We're going to change the game. <clears throat> the rock's coming. Oh, and he's, you know, what he is, montage of him training. And then sometimes it pays off and it's actually quite good. The movie that he's in, like Jumanji, no one expected them two movies to be as yeah. good as what they were. Walking tall, mate. But, <laughs> I like walking tall. I like walking I tall. I like walking tall. I like walking tall. But basically, the scene where he puts a shotgun back. Yeah. It's like, no, two by four. Two by four, man. I'll take you down. But then there are movies. I've been burnt, James. Baywatch. Yeah. What did you expect? I know. Yes. But, however, I do want, I'm kind of excited for Black Adam. What makes me more excited is Black Adam versus the Justice League. I'm going to be honest. That's a film that I can already see being set up and I'm already interested. Well, the new Is it the new animation film is uh, Suicide Squad kills the Justice League? That's, no, that's a game. Oh, it's a game. It's a game from Rocksteady who did the Arkham Asylums because I saw the trailer for that. It basically, you you have a four... I don't know how it works. I don't know if it's a corpse. I don't think it's a shooter. I think it's like the Arkham games. Mm. You control one of the four characters and, and your job is to take them down. So that sounds awesome. I'm looking forward to that. No, I believe the the trailer that you may have missed with the animated was for Super Pets, which is still being made. Yeah, yeah, The Rock. Again, I saw The Rock coming out of the booth with his Tiramana tequila going, oh, I've just laid down the voice for the... Oh. You know, we're going to change the game. And change the Rock's coming. Crypto the dog is going to be the number one animated superhero pet movie of all time. Thing is, it probably is. It probably because is because it's very niche. niche. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the Rock does this, and, and I said this a few podcasts ago, and that is now rubbing off on you, Ryan Reynolds, you Hugh Jackman's. Mm. They were all playing the game of I know, I just have to fucking sell it on social media, and I have to sell it as and me as a brand, and then but my performance in it will be no different to any other film I'm in where I just play the. You know the uh, abnormally tall, muscly boat captain, yeah, it was, or the it was funny, or the the, uh, the you know the the big muscly uh, board game player, or whatever it is. Yeah, he's, he's, he should have Arnold Schwarzenegger up and just be a nerd. Yeah, no one ever questioned it. No, or a twin with Danny DeVito. Yes. Oh. Um, let's talk some movies then this week. So you got four. I've got four. I've got three at a TV show. I think. Okay. Do we just do Squid Game? Because we've both seen it. Oh, have you that seen Squid Game? Finally. Oh, do Squid Game. Right? Yeah, Squid I'm Game. not going to go into it in too much detail. Obviously what do you not. think? I really like Squid Game. I thought it was brilliant. Um, I know a lot of people have come out and say the translation is, you know, changes the meanings. However, that's the problem with me not speaking Korean. <laughs> so that's, Wait, Tom, I, do you not speak South Korean? Exactly. I'm sorry, mate. I'm sorry to be oh, You only do that. North Korean, don't you? Yeah, exactly. Well, from the homeland. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I, I swear the, to God. The internet is great. That'll be clipped out somewhere and I'll be on trial soon. <laughs> no, I, so I, I was once at House Party and I was going on my theory that, that uh, North Korea is a tax haven. <laughs> and that in North Korea, like, you know, North Korea have blockbusters. North Korea have unicorns and yeah. dragons. They're all there. They're all there. And, and, all the, and everything we see with Kim Jong-un and all that, it's just fake. It's just because the rich get to go play. Yeah. We get to think it's a it's a horrible place. Weirdly, that weirdly that'd be better, I think, for the human race. Yeah, <laughs> it would make you happy. No, but uh, do you know what? That's a translation thing. It's one of those things, though, that I, I you have got watching the subtitles. I love sub. I love, it's one of those things where I hate dubbed. I know in the past I've watched some animes, but that's because I think I had a headache at the time. I'm all about the subtitles. Yeah, I read. Yeah, I thought it was brilliant. I the thing though that you get with these Korean things, uh, Korean films, Korean uh, TV series, is they always hope for have to overreact because it's aware that its audience is going to be um, Western. That So that first episode, when you meet the main character and he's gambling, he's so animated. He's having so much fun. But do you know what? It got me. It, it really drew me that, in. That reminded me though of old like Gene Wilder movies. Yeah. It had it had like a 70s, 80s feel to it. Like you're right, over, over the top. I, I had to watch it. We tried it. I, I wanted to watch the dub version because I heard how bad it was. And I got maybe three minutes in. Oh, that's too bad. And we were like, no, they just put that. But I would normally I would I would read the subtitles anyway. 
Um, because you're right, even though you don't understand the language, it, when their facial expressions, you know, you need yeah. to see the emotion and hear it and then just read what they're saying. So I know a lot of people as well are going to say, oh, it's in the same vein as Battle Royale, which which is very funny. It's a film they forgot when the Hunger Games come out. It's just like, well, it's Battle Royale. However, or The Condemned. Or the, or the Condemned, which is the best Stone Cold Steve Austin film and the best Vinnie Jones film. <laughs> and he did Snatch. <laughs> um, I really liked it. I thought it was pretty good. It, am I screaming for a second series? No, I actually thought it was quite a good self-sustained first season and only season. I quite like that idea. I like the journey of the different characters. And you've got, a, I love playing Spot the Arsehole. Mm. So, you know, at some point in a group or friends or, you know, lovers, at some point someone's going to screw someone over. And I love in episode two, that's when you start because they can't show you the, who's an asshole yet because you've got to, you've got to fall in love with him. You've got to respect him. And then the shock is they're an asshole. But I, mate, called it. <laughs> called oh, all yeah. the assholes quite early on. I think, so if anyone hasn't seen it, Squid Game is the number one show at the minute on Netflix. I think it's broken all Netflix records. Um, and it's become somewhat of a cult and internet sensation of people watching it. And it is about a series of individuals that are in debt or, or, or owe money. They, uh, this, this the underprivileged, the, the, the debties is, yeah. The, the people who've got like, you know, living day by day in debt, haunted by loan sharks and... And, and about 156 of these are recruited to take part in a game, they're told. So they get picked up in the middle of the night, gas taken to a secret location, wake up the next day. They've all been given a number and assigned the role of playing games. And they are kids' games, but they have deadly consequences. So the first game is red light, green light, the, a game that, again, you might have played where... Dinner Time, Mr. Wolf, I think is yeah, the British yeah, version. Yeah, yeah. And so and they have to get across the line, but if not, you get killed. So it's a, it is Battle Royale, it's Hunger Games, it's bloody, it's very bloody, it's very gory. I would have thought it was an 18. It's actually only a 15. I do what weirdly, I thought it could have been bloodier. They, they could have made it really nasty. And the reason I said that is because I remember Battle Royale. I was like, they could have gone mm. a lot more. They could have gone that level. And like any TV show like this, it's, uh, you know, Battle Royale and all these other shows. It, it, again, it's got a social commentary on it as well, where it's like, yes, the games are bad, but the people are just worse because they're animals, you know? And they, yeah. but what I liked about it is they, they, you know, they did things like they underfed them so that they would turn on each other and it became this big social experiment, psychological experiment as much as it did entertainment for the rich and the wealthy. And it's, it didn't really offer anything new, but it was entertaining in a very macabre, like gory way. I don't understand how it found the audience it did. When I watch it, I see uh, there are better things on Netflix. It was still very good. And maybe it's because it was different or maybe mm. it's because the human race is actually quite sick and like, well, people are going to die. I really want to watch it. Um, and it's rooted in child child games. The games they play are, are childish variations like Marbles or or What's the Time, Mr. Wolf or, you know, the thing is when you're watching it, I was like, how are they going to get tagged into this? You know, that yeah. sort of thing. I was desperate. I was like, I can't remember. Bulldog. British Bulldog would have been brilliant. Yeah, it took a wars, one of them. Yeah. It was really good. A couple of twists and turns along the way, but and and I thought the payoff was all right. The last episode was fine. It's good. Yeah. Why were people complaining about it? No, I just think the series normally let down by the yeah. last one because they had that that job of wrapping everything up. The main character as well is human. He he does things during the. Uh, he's not a goody two shoes. Mm. He does things that I imagine you do to survive, and that's uh, no spoilers. But everyone's flawed, and I really liked that. But mm. not in a cliche way, but in a well, survival dog way. Well, it dog, doesn't it? If you Which don't, you, the to, person yeah. to your left or the right will throw you under the bus to win money. And so you have to change the way that you are. There is a negative about it. And I was talking to a friend who'd also seen it. And my negative is, is because I live in Britain and I have the pound. Whereas, whereas when you when you start off, is the main character bets a, like 10,000 
10,000 won on, on like a horse. And then the next thing he owns like, he owes like 2 million. And I remember thinking, I don't know what's a lot <laughs> because 10,000 sounds like it's a tenner. But there, is a million. This, there is a story that Google are suing Netflix for the amount of um, people that are Googling the currency converter and it crashed really? the system. <laughs> it's like, you can't sue Netflix if your own system yeah, can't is handle it for being <laughs> yeah. popular. So, so when I'm watching it and then there's a scene and I, this isn't a spoiler, there's a pig, like a pig piggy bank that money fills, bank, yeah. it fills with money. But again, when bundles go in it, I'm sat as an audience member going, I, I don't, is that a lot? I don't know what it is. They look happy with that sum of money. They do look happy. <laughs> but then again, earlier, they looked happy with the equivalent of about 50 p. So again, I'm not sure. However, don't let that take you. That's just the ramblings of a madman from Lincolnshire. Ignore me. But it was very good. I do remember thinking at the time, is that a lot? I don't know. <laughs> I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. And, and I think one of the good things is, is it's also opened people's eyes to watch more dubbed, you know, and, and uh, you know, TV shows from the other side of the world. Mm. You know, I noticed now the top 10, three of the uh, f- shows and films in the top 10 are or Asian or Southeast Asian. There's a, a Danish thriller again. You know, they originally did, well, I think it was the Swedish or the Danish did The Killing. There's more of those that have come on Netflix. They've come on my recommended. But the, yeah, The Chestnut Man's one. That's the one. Yeah, yeah, I've just, I've finished that book last year, so I'm looking forward to reading, uh, watching that. So my, I'm setting aside some time and I'm going to watch that, like mm. maybe two episodes a night type the good, thing. The good thing about that is I remember enough of it to know I enjoyed the book, but I can't remember who the killer is. Oh, that's so, brilliant. So it's like yeah, the it's, perfect. Hopefully they don't do such a good job of recreating it that you're like, oh, yeah, shit, I oh, remember shit, that. that person. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I do, yeah, it was good. But don't tell anyone and you can pretend you're smart. <laughs> <laughs> no, they'll see through that, James. <laughs> So let's talk about some other things. So yeah, Squid Game is is awesome, bloody violent, um, but entertaining. Do you want to go first? I, I will, only because you you told us about Squid Game. Yeah. I'm going to go with something new. Something new for me. So this one was, well, it's 2018, but I've never seen it. It's called The Perfection, which when I text you, I put The Perfectionist. It's not, it's The Perfection. So I was wrong. Therefore. This this film we've done on the podcast before. Have we? Me and, me and Sam did it. Who? Me, when, when there were three of us doing this podcast. Oh. Me and... Me and oh, okay. No, 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 let's do it because you haven't seen no, it. No, no, wait a minute. This is my something borrowed. <laughs> <laughs> the perfection. Because we've done it on the podcast before. You and I think we had a special guest on one week or something. It's been so many episodes. We did talk about this the week it came out. Oh, I, uh, I didn't so see it. So it would have been, yeah. But, uh, but something borrowed. Interesting to see what you say about it. So uh, Charlotte is a talented cellist that left a prestigious music school to attend a personal matter. Years later, Charlotte gets in touch with the head of the academy, Anton. And she helps select a new student for the school. This is set in China. Uh, she attends a party with Anton, two teachers, Jeffrey and Thesis. I don't know. He's got a weird name. He's spelled the is. <laughs> there is. There is. And Lizzie. Lizzie is the new star student and replaced Charlotte as star pupil. Lizzie and Charlotte strike up an instant rapport, enjoy a night of partying and sex and spending the next day traveling through rural China. It was a tense thriller that twists and turns like a coiled snake. If you think you know where this film is going, you are wrong. It's many twists, not too many. And the ending is both satisfying and haunting. Yet horrifying. Up to the point that you mentioned there, this this film is in three acts. It, it is in three acts, and each three act is a different is a different mode of horror. Yeah, and I I'd, I'd be honest, man, I fucking loved it. I thought it was brilliant. It, I it's, genuinely it's, loved it. All films are, are pretty much in three acts, but this one is the mechanics of this film is made to twist it, it, it three or I suppose it two times, and you know the first part of this movie where it's set in China. And it's the rival cellists or, or friends, ex-lovers, whatever it is. I, again, I didn't, I haven't rewatched really it, but I do remember. They're it. rather. So she's taken a place when she, the Charlotte had to leave to go attend her mother. When she's come back, there's a new star pupil. Yeah. So it has that tension Jealousy. to it. 
But then when they get do the trip in rural China, where no spoilers, but one of them starts to hallucinate. Yep. It changes on a fucking dime. Like it's yep. like, oh my god, this is like a different movie. And Which then, is juxtaposed because you've gone from the bright lit like suburban city, urban like landscape to you know rural China. So as the landscape has changed, as has the narrative and the style of the filming, and the characters change. Particularly the lead in this case, that uh, Alison Williams, who's famous for being in Oz, isn't she? Or get out? No, get out. Get is what out. She was, yeah. Um, her acting changes, and now all of a sudden you're like, hold on. She, she. I was rooting for her, but now she's the bad guy. I don't know what's going on. I really love this. The classical music element, mate, instant parallels to Whiplash. It got me into that kind of world that desires perfection and how, you know, people, it's a prestigious thing. You want to be there. So that first act, I genuinely didn't think there was going to be that many surprises coming out of it. I was like, I think I know where this is going. It's going to be, you know, jealous, blah, blah, blah. I, I don't want to spoil this film. And then it slowly got me in and, and, and elements change. It was fantastic. It's a joy to watch. I, I don't... I, to be honest, mate, I didn't know that you'd watched it, so I feel a bit bad now because I can't remember what you said. I would have listened back, but I enjoyed it. Uh, Stephen Weber, who plays Anton, the leader, such a brilliant prick because I could see him as a J.K. Simmons demanding perfection. You know, mm. he sits in an acoustically perfect room. You know, he spent all his money. He's like, this is the sweetest spot. This is where you'll hear all the sounds. You know, he's an arsehole of his craft. And then you've got these characters going through different elements and the the, the Snake, mate, he'll bite you. Yeah. I, the storyline itself is a mechanic, uh, is a machine to drive you from one extreme to the other. You, like you said, you don't know where the actor is going to take you. You don't know where the character is. The storyline, you will not guess. If you think you know where the story's going, you're wrong. Yeah, it does. <laughs> so, and then by the third act, it changes again. It changes it goes again. to more brutal horror. And then I think if you can watch it, each step is, you know, you've got like tort thriller, gory thriller, kind of behind the sofa. It's, it's more realistic, the third act, but that's more horrible mm. what happens it was, it was a great experience it's not that long one hour 36 yeah um it was good for what i wanted you know it was like a it was like a friday night i watched it it was, it was good enough horror to make me think oh the world's doomed but i, yeah. I had good fun the music in it's great and i, I just I, I did like stephen weber as that kind of arsehole however like you said the actress's name who plays charlotte uh, allison williams she was great i, I really did enjoy that, that snobbish uh, music tutor teacher, you know, where it's like, when you're my number one, you get, I'll move heaven and earth for you. But the second you're my number two, you're, you're dead. Done. Yeah. You know, and the second someone more talented comes in, see it. And you see that in sports movies, you know, where the quarterback gets replaced by the rookie who proves himself, you know. It, it, Unless you know, it's the Kurt Warner film that's coming soon, mate. <laughs> it goes back to fucking Walmart. I, I've, mate, I've got no interest in watching that film. <laughs> I do in the sense that I have no interest, so I'm probably going to go watch it. <laughs> Sorry. Then we've gone from... So that's on Netflix. Now, do you know what? Something borrowed. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it, was, it was good. I actually quite enjoyed it. All right. I'm going to hit you up with a brand new movie that's on Netflix. It was number one, I think, when it came out of the week. It's been out for a couple of weeks now. And that is The Guilty, starring Jake Gyllenhaal. Have you seen it? I have seen it. I've also seen The Cell. No, The Call. Which or, start, which, or The Caller. Or, the co yeah. Or, or any one of the movies that follows the same narrative. I've seen, I've seen the Halle Berry one, which was a lot better. That's The Call. Which, which is weird because I'm sure it was financed by WWE. <laughs> Probably right, actually, yeah. Yeah, so The Call, The Caller, um, the, you know, the, these kind of movies have been done previously. This one is called The Guilty. It stars Jake Gyllenhaal and it has voice credits from Riley Keough, Ethan Hawke, Paul Dano and Peter Stars Sarsgaard. Yeah. I got most of them, but I didn't. I didn't realize that was Paul Dano in it as well. And, uh, I didn't know that, but I also didn't know. Um, 
I, obviously, yeah. So the, the basic narrative uh, plot, sorry, this is it's a demoted LAPD officer. He's working in the call centre, so the response team, um, where he takes a call from a kidnapped woman. And that's what we mean by, you know, Halle Berry did this movie a few years ago where she receives a call from someone in the trunk. She's been abducted um, and she's the uh, person in the call centre. So this time it's Jake Gyllenhaal behind the wheel. So it is a character study. It's a perfect movie to film during lockdown because it's pretty much just Jake Gyllenhaal reacting to voices. Five days. Yeah, I can believe it as well because I imagine it was intense because the movie is designed to be that way. It is somewhat of a thriller. On the one hand, this could be really simple. You know, think of films like Phone Booth as well, you know, where it's basically one character responding and learning about themselves through the voice on the other end of the telephone. Kiefer Sutherland destroying an audience. And I got it because for some reason I thought it was William Dafoe when I was watching that. But I was young, James. I was naive. What I really like about it is don't Kiefer Sutherland because that's the film that quite kept going pushed back with I believe it was it was a Washington sniper yeah. and that sort of thing and I believe the terrorism attacks he got pushed back and back and so much and then Keith Sullivan became popular with 24 mm. and then but when you see him at the end he's just a fat bloke <laughs> he's just like yeah. where's Jack Bauer and Colin Farrell had done the opposite and it was like <laughs> now we really need to get this movie out um it, you know, it's got a couple of good twists and turns along the way. It's enough to keep you engaged over the, the 97 minute or whatever it is runtime. But however, what I liked about this movie, where it maybe differs from movies like uh, The the Caller, The Call, or indeed Phone Booth, is that this one is a little bit more artsy. I mean, it's written by, um, I fucking always get the dude's name wrong, Nick Pizzolatto, who it's did the, the True Detective, Detective TV series. So there is more behind the lens of this movie. So what I really like is this one set during a forest fire. I, yeah. And I like the visuals. You know, like the, like the, the, the there's call, a reason why people can't drop everything and look mm. for this person. Whereas in the other ones, I see, I see that they don't believe it. It's yeah. like, well, why should you run 999? But there's a reason why they can't, everyone look for this. It's because like the city's burning. Yeah. So, for, so it's in LA. And as James was saying there, the, the uh, LA forest fires are happening at the same time. And, what I really like about some some movies is when it takes you and drops you in a world that you know very little of and is informative. And there was a part of me that was like, I, tell a little bit about me, James. Years ago, I actually got a job. I, I went for a job in the fire service in the um, response center. Mm-hmm. And I didn't take it at the time. I was like, I had two jobs and I took the other one. And it's one of them where I've always questioned, actually, should I do it? Because I wanted to go down that route. And actually watching this movie, we were in the first five minutes watching it, I was thinking, what, like... This is a fascinating story. Like, I imagine this would be a really insightful documentary in the because you have to remain calm yeah. when people are panicking, and you have to do that for seven, eight, nine hours a shift, day in, day out, throughout the year. Imagine it's heartbreaking. It must be really challenging, particularly if you've got someone like sort of home invasion or a, a car crash, and these people are responding. You know, and they have to act coolly. They have to, you know, um, you know, it's. Fucking underrated heroes, I think, in terms of, um, you know, when we think of services and stuff. So straight away, I was like, Jay Gyllenhaal, and he's owning it. You know, like, he's responding to these phone calls that are coming in. He's like, sir, just keep calm. I'm going to put you through to the right department. And he's he's navigating his way through. So I was, like, bought into this movie early on. And I like Jake Gyllenhaal. I think when he brings it, he brings it really much. You he does know, bring it. Nightcrawler, you know, Southpaw, you know. Even in crap films, he's still pretty good. Well, not, not Prince Persia, but everyone's got a death note. But um, but if I, thought, you, I thought it was Ben Kingsley's but, <laughs> but um, so the, in this story, our lead needs to go through a journey of discovery through the mechanisms of the plot. So it does play out a little bit more like a Greek myth or a fable than it does actually real life. So whereas phone booth and the call and those kind of movies are very much like, you know, what would you do in that situation? Very quickly in this movie, The Guilty, you start 
particularly when you get into the more voices he's hearing on the other end of the telephones, um, you start to realise that actually this movie is, isn't as real life as it is. It's a character study about an individual and you start learning that this individual has um, a backstory and the story is not so much about the external of this scenario of someone who's been kidnapped and needs help. It's actually more about an internal story, study about a character that needs to take responsibility. Um, you know, the title, The Guilty, is not about the perpetrator on the end of the telephone. It's about the character himself. We've talked about this as well in the recent Amy Adams film, uh, that, that one about the neighbour, the woman in the window. Oh, I know yeah. which one. That whenever you use course, voices so. on the other end of a telephone, where you do not cut to a scene of the person on that telephone, They're not on the, phone. the audience <laughs> member is always supposed to ask, actually, is that person real? And what's really good about this film as well is a lot of the film is him after his shift finishes, which isn't an accident. Nothing in film is accidental, or you'd hope that it isn't, with the amount of people that work on him. You know, the large majority, this film starts with him about 15 minutes from finishing the shift. So most of the events happen after his shift has ended in a room that he's not supposed to be working from. So when you look into it, it's it's got a lot more to say than a movie like The Call, The Caller, or Phone Booth. In the act, in you know, and by the end of it, it's more about what he's learned about himself than actually the scenario on the other end of the telephone of the person that he's going to be helping. And that, to me, I thought was much more fascinating. It's a much better crafted film. Now, you can still see this as a linear story of mm. someone trying to help someone who's been kidnapped. But I think it's much more interesting watching it as a as a Jake Gyllenhaal character study. Now, that being said, the issue I do have with the movie is the ending. It yes, wraps up too nicely. Yeah. It wraps up too nice. It should in my eyes, it should have been grittier, darker, and had a more of a pathos ending. This one did seem to do a victory lap at the end of when well, it done the hard work of getting us to the last minute. It just felt too happy. Not happy, but everything was ticked and everything seemed to be, you know, back in order, back in its box. And I would have liked a little bit more chaos towards the end of the movie, which would have been reflected by things like the forest fire, you know, that imagery that you have on these giant screens mm. in the call centre as he's trying to navigate himself through this abduction. So for me, it was like a home run and the person just tripped up at the end, but probably still got in before being tapped out. So it's, it's <laughs> just... Sports metaphors there. There you go. Uh, the Guilty, if you haven't seen it, I'll check that out on Netflix. 90 minutes, mate, straight in. Oh yeah, so it was right. I, I agree with you. I, I really didn't like the ending. Um, he gave me, I just, I didn't know if it was wrapped up too nicely. I I guess I was watching it thinking, oh, that's convenient. So maybe it was wrapped up too nicely. Um, this was my original something borrowed because I thought you had already seen this, but I don't think you have actually. Maybe we got them the wrong way around. Eli, 2019. I think I have. It's a horror movie. It is a horror movie. This is one. I'm going right. to guess. Does it involve with a kid? Yeah. Does it involve a kid with somewhat of a demonic possession? Kind of. That's the end. Does it involve a kid that should have been dead but isn't dead? Yeah, kind of. Oh, no. No, I think you're thinking about something else. Okay. Uh, right. Starring Charlie Shotwell, Kelly Riley, and Lily Tyler. Hey, Lily Tyler's back. It's been ages since I've seen her. her. Ellie, Eli Miller suffers from an extremely rare disease that makes him allergic to the outdoors, meaning he spends his early years inside his house. But then he gets a bubble suit and then he goes out and he gets he gets bullied because he's different. His parents finally get him in to see Dr. Isabella Horn, who owns a secluded medical facility. It's actually an old house that's been renovated. Inside the facility, he's able to remove his bubble suit and experience things he hadn't before. You know what I mean? Like a young kid. He befriends a young girl called Haley, who doesn't live in the facility, but outside and speaks to Eli through a glass window. Unfortunately, the processes Dr. Horn does on Eli, the procedures, they're painful and he suffers hallucinations as a side, effects, a side effect. And he starts 
believing he's seeing ghosts and ghouls, and they keep leaving him cryptic messages. Haley believes that the facility is haunted and warns Eli, where the grown-ups ignore him. Um, now, I'll tell you what, yeah. I haven't seen this film because I've just got it up on IMDb and I, I haven't seen it. Maybe it was what else. you're talking about, I've seen this film <laughs> in, 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 in the respect of... It's been the I've before. seen this before. Yeah. Um, so this, the reason I went with this one was because I Googled horror films that you've, you you haven't heard about, you haven't seen. And everything about it is quite formulaic. I've, I'll be honest, man, I love religion as a horror element. I think it's one of my favourite things to do because there's something about religion that is because it's based on belief. There's something about it is you have to willingly accept yourself to be, you know, taken to that world. This is a scientific film that, at the start of the third act, wildly flips on its head and, and takes science to task, but in a world of religion. And I'll be honest, that's my jam, baby. I love that sort of shit. Mm. I was talking to my good friend Esther on the way, on a drive from Grantham to Lincoln. I was talking about why I liked Hellraiser, because it was different. It wasn't, you know... You know, just tell her to download that episode where you talked about it. Yeah, well, mate, she listened Could to Could have got us a listen, you know. Oh, mate, she'd, I'll make her listen. All right. <laughs> oh, please. Um, but, but I really like, you know, it's something different. And do you know what? Did I like this film? Yeah. <laughs> Bit of shrug of the followers, put my hands out. Did I like that it took a risk? I did, because I didn't realise until researching afterwards, this film's been done a lot before. So not really a risk. It's just a weird genre of um, film I've missed. And the reason why I must have confused it is you might have seen the other films that are exactly like this. There, are there standout performances? No, the child actor suffers from being a child actor. At the end, something happens and he's supposed to act a lot differently to how he's acted throughout the film. And he does not pull it, pull it off. You just want to slap him in the face. <laughs> um, the um, the friend, Haley, is played by the uh, character in Stranger Things, the red-headed um, uh, Kelly Riley. You know, she comes back. Yeah, yeah. She was very good. She's cool. However, she does not have good lines. The script is pretty poor. Um Lily Tyler, it was actually great to see her. I really like Lily Tyler. Do you know what? I remember The Haunting, and I still like Lily Tyler. I still thought she was pretty good. Yeah, she was in The Conjuring when I watched them last year. Yeah, she played the mum, doesn't mm. she? So I really like Lily Tyler. I think, you know, she's a good presence. She's got that presence to play Elizabeth Horn. Now, unfortunately, once you watch this film, I want you to get in touch with me because Elizabeth Horn is about so on the nose about what happens in the rest of that story. She might as well have been called The Twist. <laughs> it was... It was okay. It was a bit on the long side. The the dad is an arsehole, but, but played for good. But the whole actual storyline, you know, when you get to the reasoning, is is poor, pulled out of a rabbit's hat, comes out of nowhere. But I do like it. I do like that this world, this kind of religious world set in this science place, I did like it. I, I'm not trying to give spoilers away because with horror films, you should watch them, should experience horror film. If film is supposed to give you an emotion, a horror film is one of the most visual. It's supposed to unnerve you. It's supposed to unsettle you. There's different levels of horror as well, which I love. Like one of the scariest films of all time will be The Witches because we were talking about it off air. Like mm. you're a child. I'm not scared by horror films, but as a child, The Witches terrified the piss out of me. I wasn't going near a. I wasn't going near anyone with you know long noses. <laughs> so horror is subjective, and this one kind of plays with you a little bit. Ultimately disappointing though. Eli's on Netflix. Who's it for? I think it's for generic horror fans. It, it won't take, it, it's a bit different, but at the same time, very same. Like. This this is in that category for me of, and the 2000s have been rich with this. Film historians in years to come will look back and they'll see the slashers, you know, the hammer horrors into the slashers, into the, you know, scream changing the game in the 90s. And then all of a sudden the 2000s hit 
in streaming sites where these are kind of cheap, quick, you know, once you've got your location, asylum, a school, a nunnery, wherever it is that you want to choose your creepy location to be, a mansion, whatever, it does then become somewhat formulaic. You know, like you say, you get the family, the nigh family that should be out of there, but for some reason they're lingering and staying. Mm. You know, there's the, the the kid actors, there's the animals that stare into doorways and the scene, something that, you, you know, that you no one else sees. Say, yeah. You know, there's a color Lutala. <laughs> you know, they, they, but and then they got moderate special effects in them as well as the jump scares. And this just falls a long list of the movies that I see on Netflix all the time. The problem is now, James, that you could you clicked on it, you will see them too. Yeah, they will start popping up on your timeline on Netflix saying because you watch so and so, why don't you watch Mirrors with Kiefer Sutherland? Oh, I've seen it. I don't want to see it again. <laughs> How is there a Mirrors too? That doesn't make any sense. Anyway, but do you know what did get <laughs> recommended to me? Netflix have brought out that new horror series, which is supposed to be amazing. Oh, I'm going to watch this, yeah. Yeah, is there something you're going to give? Midnight Mass. Midnight Mass, apparently. You know, I did say I quite liked religion. I might give it a go. I'm interested to, I want. It, I don't want to waste my time though on a TV series. So I need someone else to watch like three episodes and tell me if it's, it's worth getting involved. It's not long though, is it? It's not oh, loads it? of episodes, I don't think. Oh, that's good. I might I might then. Um, and then you mentioned Scream. There's a new Scream trailers come out. Yeah, yeah. I quite like that. Do you know what? I'm thinking, so Halloween's approaching and like I said, my friend Esther doesn't have the greatest knowledge about, uh, I think I'm going to introduce her to the Scream films. Because I quite, uh, do you know what, you were talking about them a few weeks ago and you made me feel nostalgic because I really hated the second and the third one. But the way you were talking about the second one, I was thinking, do you know what, maybe. Yeah. It, obviously I don't the think first the one was that bad. I think the first, obviously the, the first one's the best one. one. Yeah. And the, the third one's crap. However, do you know what, I think he gets a pass. Was there a fourth? There, I don't think I ever saw it. There was a fourth because it's, um, there's a new Sydney. I believe right. it's Sydney's cousin that's the one that's been attacked. So they bring back the original cast to try and work out how to survive. That's got a great ending, actually, because I know who the killer is on that one. Right. Yeah, no, the four was all right. I'm looking mm. forward to five. And then the TV show, obviously. I, and the TV series I haven't seen, but he's on Netflix. Mm. There you go. Maybe I'm going to get back into screen because Ghostface is a good villain, actually. He is. Got is that he... creepy voice. Mm. Mate, can you imagine being that guy with that voice? The amount of people you'd scare just be like, could I have, could I have some apples, please? Like, no. <laughs> Fucking scary prick. Right. Is it me? Is it? No, just on Mine's really quick because my next one is actually a, is actually a documentary. I'm going to go for a documentary, mate. It's, well, I say documentary. It's a it's a, it's a a one-hour special on Netflix. Okay. If you haven't seen, I'd highly recommend watching. And it's called Attack of the Hollywood Clichés. No, I've not seen it. 58 minutes. And it's Rob Lowe taking you through nice. Hollywood's greatest clichés in tongue-in-cheek humour. Rob Lowe is on a winning streak that from after doing things like Parks and Recs. He's, yeah. he's got that same youthful um, laughing. Exuberance. Yeah, but laughing at me, not with me kind of comedy in this. He narrates, uh, you know, so he comes out, he goes, hi, I'm Rob Lowe. You're not. And it's that <laughs> kind of comedy that he does. Um, and it is just a brilliant 60 minute Netflix documentary that looks at um, some of the most cringeworthy cliches and tropes within cinema. So I wrote some of them down. It, now, I will say the only criticism I've got of this 58 minute documentary is it doesn't spend too long on any one of them because every time they popped up, I'm like, fuck it. Yes, that is, that does my head and in. Gone. And then it's gone on to the next one. So it is a bit, they should have split this into two and given you a lot more. Sounds of, like they're giving you much room for laughter. Yeah, but it's, you know, it's, so, you know, so some of them like covers a wide range of cliches, like the jump scares we've already talked about in, in that. Uh, Eli film that you just talked about, you know, dogs and animals that stare at windows and, and bark at the unseen that no one else can see, cats that are hiding and stowed away in cupboards and, and dumpsters and stuff like that. And and he goes, even in spaceships, it cuts to aliens. Yes. <laughs> you know, and it's it's got loads of like, 
it makes films that I really, this is the best thing about it. It's like the film, I love Alien and it even made me laugh at how silly <laughs> that is, you know? And um, it goes like uh, funerals where, um, where your main star isn't at the funeral. They're watching from a hill. Yep. And it, and it goes through and it shows you all these examples. It goes, but Fast and the Furious, <laughs> Paul Walker's watching a funeral being watched by Vin Diesel, who's watching Paul Walker watching the funeral. <laughs> and it shows you, and you can't not laugh at how silly it is <laughs> when someone's pointing at it going, look how ridiculous it is. But we take it, we just absorb it. You know, there are things like, uh, you know, women running in heels, you know, from monsters, Jurassic Park, that kind of thing. Uh, cops married to the job that there's this brilliant montage of everything from like leave a weapon to die Hard to all these like eighties and nineties cop movies where it's like loose cannon. Like it's the job, man. It's the job. <laughs> you know? And it's just, it's so funny to watch it. it and it, and it goes deadly silent. And Rob goes, Rob Lowe's like, uh, don't believe me. And it cuts to Morgan Freeman going, uh, not Morgan Freeman, sorry. Um, Danny Glover going, put it in your mouth from lethal weapon. And uh, and the fucking muggers is like, do you know why I don't do it? The job. <laughs> and you're like, oh yeah, out of context. And actually taking that out, that is so funny. Um, things like the the Wilhelm scream. Yes, which isn't so, so much stuff. You've yeah. mentioned this in GoldenEye, they use it. Yeah. But they actually go through the narrative of saying, this is where it started. This is the movie it started in. And then uh, two years later, they needed a scream. So they took it, they lifted it and pasted it. And now it's a running joke. And he goes, he's like, look at all the people that put it. Like Spielberg's used it in Indiana Jones. Tarantino's used it in loads of his movies. Like, and it is that infamous, like, scream. It is brilliant. And it just is a montage of everywhere it's been used. And you're right, like, Golden Knights in there. But it does address some of the cliches that are, um, you know, like, you may now more than ever, you know, uh, relevant. So I'm going to use this term because it is the the term that's quoted as, but the magical Negro is a cliche that they, that you, they use, which is the example of... I was just saying the guy from The Shining, right? Yeah, so the, yeah. A, a black character that's job is, is to add, like, mystery and, and almost like a fairy godmother. And they use this example of... Um, a, a Will Smith film that no one's seen called The Legend of Bag. Um, no, unfortunately, I've seen that. He plays a. He plays. No, don't tell me he plays a, um, a caddy, yeah. golf caddy, because that's how he turns his life around. Is is <laughs> who is it? So he who goes, is the guy who's play? Is it Matt Damon? Matt Damon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I'm so sad like, that I've seen that film. He goes, I if you ever it. needed a more clear example of this cliche or this trope, this is set in 1930s America. You know, and it's like plantations were still a thing. And here is Will Smith teaching Matt Damon how to improve his golf swing. Yes. Is there any more ridiculous example? And you look at it going, no. Yeah. (laughs) And it it goes in, you know, but other things like the white savior characters as well, you know, that which is big in Hollywood and actually showing you the amount of times it happens. And you're like, crap, you don't realize how many times that happens in movies. So I can't stress this enough. The language I've used just then is because it's the, the term that is used in the documentary and is the term that's used yeah. in cinema. So it's it's not meant in any offensive term. Um, but it is well worth watching. It is 58 minutes where you will learn about film, but you will also laugh at how preposterous film is in many ways. And we celebrate it, we idolise it, we invest our time, money and effort and emotion into it. But in its most basic context, it is laughable sometimes at how silly these films are. And uh, yeah, it's just definitely worth watching it. Do you know what? You've sold me on that. That sounds it's brilliant. It's 58 minutes, mate. And, and Rob Lowe will get you through them in 58 minutes. I, I, a doddle. I love Rob Lowe. So that sounds perfect to me. Do you know what, mate? I've got, I've got something shit and I've got something new. I don't know where to go. This stuff, have you only got one film left to talk about? Sorry? Have you only got one film left to talk two. about? Oh, two. That's cool. So I'm going to start off then with with, do you want something good? Let's end on, let's, let's not end, let's end on something bad. So let's start on something good, something new, something different. But also at the same time, 
You've seen it before. <laughs> it's kind of borrowed. Girl on the Third Floor. So, I haven't seen this. So this is on the Netflix. It stars Phil CM Punk Brooks. So CM Punk was a wrestler and he gave it all up to be a UFC fighter and he got knocked out in his first two fights. So now he's an actor. <laughs> I think he's gone back to wrestling. Anyway, Tristy Kelly Dunn and Sarah Brooks. Don Liz and Doug Cooper buy an old house in the suburbs in the hope that it will be a fresh start for the pair. Don is a former criminal who is renovating this old house before his heavily pregnant wife moves in. Don has to deal with a multitude of issues, including a black sludge substance that comes through the walls and the appearance of marble throughout the house. Don meets the neighbour, a pastor who, li- who lives over the road, and explains to Don the weird effect the house can have on straight men. Mm. He also meets Sarah Yates, another neighbour who seduces him and sleeps with Don quite quickly. He sees the error of his ways and turns her down the next time. But suddenly, mysterious, horrid things begin to happen in the house. Ooh. So, do you know what I really liked about this film? Is is essentially the first, the first 50 minutes are just a guy working on the house as mysterious crap keeps happening. The character of Don, you instantly quite like. You know, he's a doer. He gets things done. You know, he seems quite with his wife. You know, he, he speaks about loyalty. He talks to his friends and they're like, he talks about how he's turned over a new leaf. He's not a good character because then it starts flipping and then he meets his lawyer and his lawyer says, you got lucky to get a federal deal because he swindled old people out of their retirement homes. Uh, retirement monies. Then you find out that he's done other things and, you know, he's like he's cheated on his wife in the past and he's not a good person. But the idea that he's, turning his life around. You know, he's a smoker, he's a drinker. He does naughty things, but he's trying his best. However, sleeps with Sarah Yates. Starts slipping into his old ways. The idea that you never really change. The idea that the house is kind of not changing him, but but testing him is a really good way of saying it. You find out that the house used to be like a brothel because he's doing work on it and the roof claves in and he sees like a viewing platform where people would watch the sex happening below them. What I'm going to say now is, if you just watch this film, you're going to get like a home improvement vibe. It's a guy trying to trying to home improve whilst spirits fuck about with him, right? So you can watch Wait, it. Like, Tim Allen in it. <laughs> he wishes. Um, so you've got a film that can actually be quite simple if you want to watch it. However, when I'm watching it, I got really into this film. Like the idea that Don is physical. So he will, so a problem erupts like so the sludge comes out of the wall so you see him and then he basically puts like a sign on it a board on it blocks it out repaints it redoes the wallpaper everything however that doesn't stop the sludge the roof claves in he doesn't want to know what it's about so what he does is he fixes the wall the idea that he doesn't get to the uh, doesn't get to root problems he's a physical man that will try and solve the problem in front of him but that's when the twists in the story start happening that's a negative it's really well played and do you know what I'm going to be. I'm going to say something that's quite dickish right now. He's a wrestler, and Punk doesn't. Sorry, uh, Punk. CM Punk. <laughs> Mr. Guy, Punk. Mr. Right. Punk. Um, he's he has no right to be as good as he is in this film. He carries it for the first hour. It's just him talking to like two people, and it's just him reacting to things. It, do you know what? I'm going to put it out there, mate. This film had no right to be as good as it should have been. It was really good. It was well played. And I, do you know what? I had thoroughly enjoyed the one hour 97, uh, sorry, one hour 37 is not a long film. Did just enough to get me involved. Is it a great film? No. Does it take ridiculous chances? Kind of. It's a horror film with a moral. <laughs> it's another standout effect. Uh, the practical effects in it are really good. It's from mm. a, uh, 
It, I think it was it was it was uh, renowned for its success with its special effects. It went very practical. It was someone who'd worked on indie horrors before. They went to direct it and they they got really involved in the horror aesthetics. I believe with my uh, research of this film, the film's got a very small cast. The writing's realistic and and punctual. And what I mean by that is it gets to the point. There's just enough. You know, did you just see that? Did this happen? Is it gory? Yes. Is it over gory? No, is it an actually well placed a well paced film that that when it's at its best is near perfection? Yes. Do you know what I actually really enjoyed the writing and the and the atmosphere is phenomenal in this film. The kind of change with the characters as well isn't done out of nowhere. Mm. You can see how the character of Don has hidden from the audience. It's like because he hasn't had the opportunity to show you what a dick he is yet. So well in all, a well put together film that, do you know what, had no right to be as good as it should. I thoroughly enjoyed myself. Is it changing the horror genre? No. But was it a lot better than I was expecting when I saw a film called Girl on the Third Floor with CM Punk? I thought this film was going to be balls, mate. I, I sat there with my pen ready to mark and it showed me it was something new. You said you drew a little love art with CM Punk. Yeah, did, yeah, yeah. Or Phil Brooks, which is his name. I-D-E-T. Yeah. And then I destroyed it, mate. Wow. Though he's married to AJ Lee, I think, you know. Um, so I actually thoroughly enjoyed it. And then I just realised I've been missing a part of my reviews because the perfection, when I did it earlier, the perfection, more like nearly the very good. <laughs> uh, Eli, had, oh, I didn't do one for Eli. <laughs> uh, but for Girl on the Third Floor, I went, Girl on the Third Floor, more like, girl, this film is so much better than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've done that. Um, is it, it's on Netflix. You should watch it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Better than it should have been. I I hadn't heard of it until you tweeted about it. Yeah, I, well, I didn't know about it when I put it in. It was it was quite on the list of films that were on Netflix that I hadn't seen. You know, like underrated gems for horror. And do you know what? It was it. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, I feel a wrestlers into movies part two coming up. Yeah. Uh, last would you, would you watch it quickly? I probably would. Yeah. Good. Yeah, because I've I've certainly got more into horror over the last year. I, I was mad on horror. I say this every year, every October. Mad on horror growing up. So every B movie, every bloody movie that I could get from Blockbuster, you know, I've seen all the Camp Bloods. I've seen Razorback, you know, about an Australian pig that kills people. I've seen loads of bad horrors, mate. But um, then I kind of got out of it. You grew. Yeah. And now yeah. I'm kind of getting my way back into it. But the problem with me is, is that a bad one could just It'd derail throw me it. off it. Yeah. Well, I, you, I think it's a genre that needs reinvention consistently because I, I don't like the idea of, as I was explaining to mutual friend um if if it's just jason killing someone now i'm not that interested however if it's scream and it's implied that they've got supernatural abilities but in reality are just like some pillocks mm. going around killing people that's scarier and it's different at the time so i quite like you i think it's a, a genre that needs constant reinvention yeah and horror is supposed to be you know the uplifting isn't it it's supposed to be that you know you you come out of the cinema feeling relieved. It gets rid of tension. It gets rid of, you know, all that anxiety that you build up, you know, through the through the tension of the movie and the adrenaline that you get from it. And it's supposed to elicit a kind of sense of relief in, in from watching horror. I mean, if a horror is that bad, though, it can also kind of <laughs> give you the shits and the creeps, <laughs> which has happened to me with some horrors as well. Yes, I'm looking at you, The Shining, growing up, but that's because my dad looked like Jack Nicholson. <laughs> now, um, saying that, last year, I crowned Halloween as my favourite horror movie. The, you did? kind of started the... Didn't start, but it certainly perfected the 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 slasher, um, you know, the stoic figure um, kind of character. I, and I loved it. The the 78 uh, John Carpenter Halloween is still my favourite. Yeah. 
So this year I went to Halloween 2. Now, I'm not going to do this every year because I, I haven't got it in me to watch for a year again, James. I've seen it. Season of the Witch. Yep, not going to do it. Yeah. But I did think they're all on Netflix now. All the they Halloweens. are, which is weird, isn't it? But I do, I'm do. i going to start working my way through them. So I went to Halloween 2 this year because now the new Jamie Lee Curtis Halloween series have kind of changed the universe, if you like, Halloween that came out last year. Uh, is, is technically Halloween 2 Halloween Kills now would be Halloween 3 and Halloween Ends which is the next one would be 4 so this is no longer canon but fuck it 1981 written by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill starred uh, directed by Richard Rosenfall picks up the story immediately after Halloween ended. you like that don't you you like when a, when a film does that I do when I don't James, oh, okay. because one of the negatives because I don't really like Halloween 2 it loses everything that Halloween one created. Yep. So I just go for the storyline. Yeah. So the storyline is Jamie Lee Curtis, Donald Plans return. So immediately after the events of Halloween, where we see Dr. Loomis shoots Michael Myers out of the window. Oh, that ramp, which is convenient. The ramp's not there in the original Halloween. It's Halloween two with the ramps there. Oh, okay. I've never seen a ramp. That's <laughs> what I'm going to get to. So, um, after Michael Myers escapes, uh, and then, uh, Laurie Strode, played by Jamie Lee Curtis, is taken to the hospital and Michael's killing rampage continues as he works his way across town to try and get to Laurie. Um, so that's the basic premise. There's nothing, it doesn't add any more meat to the bones. It's pretty much the same as the first movie in terms of Michael is established and he's going around killing people with a William Shatner mask on. So John Carpenter didn't want to return, came back as a uh, producer. This is one of the only movies that has the producer's cut instead of the director's cut. Yeah. Uh, and John Carpenter came back only to cash in on the money that he believes that he was owed from the Halloween first movie Don't that he didn't him. get paid. So he yeah. put his name to it. Didn't like the movie. So the problem is Rich Rosenfeld wanted to go for a bloodier, gorier, over-the-top um, nod to the violent films as opposed to what John Carpenter had created, which was about the sense of presence, the stalking, <clears throat> the jump scares that he created masterfully he, in yeah. Halloween. The, une the uneasy presence of someone looking at you. Yeah, as opposed breathing to through the mass. The fact that you know it's about to happen and, and Halloween is engineered so that there is a jump scare like every 12 minutes. It's, yeah. it's got a great pace to it. This unfortunately doesn't have that and you do get the sense of producer versus director throughout the whole of the movie. In fact, John Carpenter went back to do the reshoots and you can see where a lot of them are introduced into the movie which doesn't make too much sense. Like we're saying, the big one is it picks up where the last one ended but did, does it because... Uh, Loomis shoots uh, Michael Myers out of the back window in Halloween, yet in the re in the sequel, he shoots him out the front window, which is now That's, got a ramp. Yeah. So they've changed things that like even even like the half asleep audience in the in the early eighties would go, hey, That's on. not the same. Yeah. And it's because the house went through renovations in the three year gap between filming. <laughs> but you know, so he, whereas he falls into the back garden and runs off, and this one he falls into the front garden, but you clearly see the ramp that he walks up before he falls over the balcony. It's just so straight away alarm bells, James. <laughs> and it unfortunately doesn't get much better than that. There's some cool things in it, like they use the same mask from the first movie. I'll tell you what I do like is Loomis is fucking like gun crazy in this one. He, he is, is but he's, he's, not... he's, he's he's well off the scale. You know, in the first one he's quite measured and he's like, I've seen real horror. In this one he's like, I'm sure he shoots a kid. Oh, it might be Halloween 4. Didn't he, didn't he go for a kid who's got the same mask as he's like, I'm going to fucking kill you. <laughs> well, this one he dies, doesn't he? This one he blows himself up at the end. Yeah. So this one, unfortunately, has... Don't um, die, though, does it? Well, <laughs> Should have done. <laughs> the, 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 this one is, is full of issues. Uh, so first of all, it's Dick Warlock plays Michael in this movie, so not Nick Castle who played the shape in the first movie. So, Shows, doesn't it? It's, yes, it's a because they're not presence. the same size, James. Yeah. So when you're using the same mask from the first movie, it doesn't fit on Dick Warlock's <laughs> head. 
So all the way through it, it does look like a kid's grabbed an adult mask. There are some scenes where Michael's walking so slow as well. Like, conserving his energy, mate. Well, there's this thing that uh, reading around it. Who's the original CrossFit? Dick, Dick Warlock really wanted to play Michael Myers. Comes in, puts the mask on, but he slows down the production so much. There are... I mean, he's taking the piss. I mean, I know that Michael... <laughs> I know that Michael walks after people. He never breaks into a sweat. Which makes, this, which, which never explains how, how he catches up to people. <laughs> this, this is well, right. So there's, shit. There are scenes where he's chasing Laurie through the, through the hospital. This is a great scene, right? Laurie can't get through this door. It's a glass door. She can't get through it. Loomis has to run over, open it up. Mike Myers then just walks through it and it breaks and it collapses. But even a stoic killer would put his hand out in front of him and push the door through. And he just walks into it with his face until he pushes through the glass. It just doesn't look good. He doesn't have the same physical presence that Nick Castle had in the original. <laughs> they used the same mask and there's this whole rumour around the fact that it was uh, kept in Nick Castle's back pocket throughout the majority of uh, the first movie. So it was all like crumpled and the, the colour was coming off it. It was also... Was that taken, to it for me? Well, they t- it was taken by Deborah Hill and, and there's a rumour going, the theory has it that it was stayed in the house for three years and she was a smoker, so it decoloured. But the mask also doesn't look as cool as in the first movie. Mm. So that's an issue. There are things like... Um, so the, hospital. Eyebrows on it. <laughs> the, the, the hospital that they go to has no one in it. Well, that's because, I don't know if you know this, but this is happening in Friday, like the 13th as well. It's instantly after a massacre. Everyone just leaves town. They go, well, you know, I'm done. My favourite being, my favourite being the Friday the night, Friday the 13th trilogy uh, films. Several of them are set the day after and there's no police presence. Like there's just been a massacre at this lake, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> like, everyone's like, no, I'm going home now. What I really like about this one is there's an orderly trying to have sex with a nurse. Mm. And they're just like, under no, you know, there's no horror. There's just like, oh, there was a guy killing like people technically two hours ago. <laughs> it kind of went, it kind of acknowledged the fact that Jamie Lee Curtis and Laurie Strode created this character that would change the game in, in horror movies in terms of the, you know, the, the female lead. And then it's like, in the second movie, because she's drugged out of it for the majority of the movie mm. because she's in the hospital, they, they have to find other ways to make her look like the innocent angel of the film, you know, and the, the person that's going to survive. But you're right, creating everyone else's sleazy, yeah. big-boobed, like, nurses that are just walking around a hospital that apparently has no patients in it and one doctor who no one's seen. And there were whole scenes where, like, Michael just walks in and he's walking through the corridor looking in rooms that are empty and you're like... Anyone? There's no one here. <laughs> like, and then they do all this thing where like Michael's looking at CCTV camera and that means that he's figured out where Laurie is because what, he's got the blueprints to the hospital in his head or something. He like looks on the video camera. He's like, yeah, I know where that room is. How? You know, and it's, unfortunately, it's Luckily there was issues. a map that says she is here. <laughs> yeah. you, are, you are here. She is here. The the narrative as well about drugging her, that, that then comes in with this whole that by taking the drugs, it, it makes her remember suppressed Things from a childhood where she is actually Michael's sister, so the younger sister Always of Michael. Always hated that. Always hated that. Yeah, and which is what they've done away with now. And in the last uh, Jamie Lee Curtis movie, which is um, like, there's a, they even mentioned it's like there's a rumor that they relate, but that's not even yeah, true. She's yeah. like, oh, it's just a lie. Um, so the, you know, there are issues with it. The end of the movie, spoilers. I mean, fucking film came out in eighty one, but <laughs> she shoots him in both eyes, and it just looks crap. Like you can see, he's got his eyes closed through the mask. It also doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter because <laughs> he's like swinging blindly in the longest, worst scene you've seen, where he's just seen where she is. And do you know how he's seen her, James? Because he's just been shot in the eyes, but he still can't find her to stab her. And so he's just swinging wildly as they gas the room out. And, and then they put this really bad over effect. He's got a scalpel. It's not even like a knife. It's like a scalpel. And he's making this like, shoop, 
noise. Really over the top sound effects editing <laughs> in the end of this movie. And it and it's really bad. The score isn't doesn't have the same effect because again, Mark is walking too slow and he doesn't have the gait, he doesn't have the size. There's all these troublesome issues in parts of it, like with characters that just get meaningless deaths, you know, like gorier, stupider deaths that just don't make sense. It's just someone where they get mobbed together. There's there's rumblings of it, and that would have been more interesting because obviously I think that's what the narrative of Halloween Kills is going down. That the yeah, city comes back. Uh, you fucking love rednecks who are the heroes in one of these films. <laughs> so, and the film has no consequence. So, so there are bodies left, right, and center. I think there were 10 deaths in Haddonfield in, in, between the two movies. No one really seems that bothered. They kill an innocent person who's got this a similar mask. That's on. what I mean. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, it is this film then. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so there's just a trick-or-treater and a cop runs him over and he burns that's alive. It. And none of them go, oh fucking hell, you, that was an innocent trick-or-treater. They're just like, oh, is it wasn't Mike Wise. Yeah, they're <laughs> like, is it him? And they can't tell. And then later when they get the dentures and they realize they've just killed an innocent yeah. person, they're like, oh shit happens, right? Where is he then? Oh, he must be going to the hospital. Donald Pleasance, I'm really sorry. No, he knows no, you can save this one. Like, he's sat in the back seat of the car and the policeman's like, no, I've got to take you out of town. He's like, take me to the hospital. And he gets the gun out and he puts it to his head. And even the even the extra who's playing the cop driving the car can't be asked. He's like, yeah, okay. And then Loomis is like, what is it that you do? You give a warning shot. And he finds it and smashes one of the car windows, which would deafen everyone in that car. And no one reacts to it. No one jumps. They, it, the cop's just like, yeah, I'll turn around then. There's just you no what, emotion in the you movie. Know what hurts the most though? He's still probably the best thing in it. <laughs> Donald Flesh is still probably the best thing in the film. Well, the other thing is as well is the film's a fucking lie because it all takes place on November first, technically. Mate, that so was not even worth calling it Halloween. <laughs> should have been called November first. Halloween. That's what it should have been. The day after Halloween, um, I, which I think is in that called Devil's Night. Ooh, it wasn't the crow that. set on the day after Halloween. It's Devil or Devil's I, Night. I can't remember. Or is it the day before Halloween? One no. The Crow's set in Perpetual Night, mate. It's like 1989 Batman. There's no sun. I think it's Devil's Night, though. I think it's the day after Halloween when, like, craze happens. Um, yeah, so this movie doesn't work on any level. It's got not got a anything to the original Halloween movie. Now, luckily, Rick Rosenfeld, the director, would get to redeem himself after making Halloween 2. Years later, mm-hmm. coming back to the franchise to make Halloween Resurrection, which really, really helped get the franchise back up and running again, um, you know, after is H2O. Where, is that the one where Jamie Lee Curtis was like, I'm, if I'm doing this film, I'm done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like in a way that I can't come back. <laughs> Jamie, Jamie, Lee Curtis, Jamie Lee Curtis saying, I'm not doing it, not doing it, not doing it. Add another zero. Go on then, but you're going to kill me off in the opening sequence. Yeah, she was like, I'll only do three days. <laughs> which is really funny because like now when you've got Jamie Lee Curtis, and I love her, I think she's great. Oh, I think and, she's and, in Halloween and Halloween 2, she's the shining star of these movies. You know, and she did what she's done for horror, what she's done for that, that those characters is amazing. I love Jamie Lee Curtis, but there is a part of it that when I watch an interview of her now, she's like, oh yeah, it's, you know, like this is the true Halloween. This is the one that we always meant to make. Didn't stop you before though, Jamie Lee no, Curtis, did it? No. Didn't stop you from ha- Halloween called, Resurrection. It's called money. <laughs> yeah. Didn't, didn't stop you with Buster Rhymes in that movie. There was lots of warning signs that that wasn't going to work. Tyra Banks. But it is just fucking, that one is terrible. Like, I remember watching it. And That's why I'll never forgive Mike Myers because you know, Mike Myers got, you know who kills him in that film? He's Buster Rhymes. I'm just like, fuck off Mike Myers. But also, this, this, this is at the time when I hated the, the studio dimensions because 
Oh yeah, Dimension came out and it did do some good films. Mm. And it has, well, it is. I'm certain it was attached to like Scream and some of the other movies. That oh, I came think it out. did. The problem was, I think it was hoarding all of them. So Dimensions is the problem with the Hellraiser franchise. Mm. So it it had it, but because it needed, it didn't do anything with license. It kept like releasing these films and and squishing Hellraiser into it, mate. We've seen Hellraiser. It's coming out in 2022. The cast list for it. Yeah, Lady uh, Lady Pinhead. Lady Pinhead. Um, she's the first, I believe she's going to be the first transgender horror icon. All right. And what I really love about that is, is when I'm reading the, the Telltale Heart, I really like an idea that it's sexually ambiguous because it's not about that. Mm. I really like what they're doing with it. I've seen the cast. Do you know what, mate? They might have actually made a fucking decent film for once. I'm actually excited. I'm going to be devastated when it turns out it's bollocks. I remember Dimensions being the film company that just were shitting on things. I remember Halloween Resurrection. Like This was when I went to Blockbuster. This is that oh. era. So I got this movie. And, uh, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis dies in the opening sequence and you're like, what the fuck? And yeah. then it turns into this like house on the haunted hill kind of, oh yeah, you stay a night in Michael Myers house. shitter. Yeah, with Buster Rhymes in it. Yeah. And then, <laughs> you won't let that go, will it? No. And then <laughs> there's like, Banks. they did like Highlander 4 and killed Christopher Lambert off in like the opening scene. And you're like, what is with this film company? Just shitting on good movies. Money. <laughs> yeah, that's all it is. So Halloween 2, I, I made the joke about... Um, Season of the Witch. I am going to watch all the Halloween movies over the course of... At least Season of the Witch tried to do something different. Yeah, yeah. And, and this one does have a inroad to that. There's a scene as they approach the hospital of a kid um, with blood coming out of his mouth and it, what looks like a razor blade. And it's this old... Um, the masks have come to life or you turn... Well, into- no, it's in, in, in... Apparently it was uh, John Carpenter's... It went from he was a kid. There was all these rumours that uh, oh, there was once a kid in, in an apple. Yeah. So he put that in that movie as a nod to say that the, 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 we've got ambitions for where the franchise or where the Halloween, yeah. um, you know, stories are going to go. And Season of the Witch, unfortunately, didn't take that off. So then they quickly came back to Michael Myers. But, Which is upsetting because that turned into fucking horseshit. Yeah, I am going to watch it though. I'm going I'm to go back and revisit them all because they all tend to just blur into one. And then H2O, I remember because of LL Cool J and um, Josh Hartnett. And that, that film was like 98 or something. Like I was... Like that, that came out of time when things like America Pie, Cool <sighs> Intentions, it was like that era. And I remember that coming out and being like, oh, Michael Myers, like our parents went to see him, you know, in, yeah. in like, you know, in this in like our version of it. But there's no, there's no redeeming quality of resurrection whatsoever. Oh, I'm sorry to oh, hear One that. more film, so you go. Well, this was very quick, mate. Something shit. Starring John Cusack. Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, when you talk, right. When you text me saying I've seen Cell. Yeah. You, you I was told like, me- right, you've seen the Jennifer Lopez, Vince Vaughn Cell. No, I've already seen that. Um, or you're talking about the John Cusack and the Samuel L. Jackson one. Oh my God, James. Cell is all about Clay, a disillusioned artist who left his family behind to follow his dreams of becoming a famous graphic novel artist. <laughs> Fuck you, John Cusack. <laughs> Now he wants back with his family and is at the airport ready to go back home. Unfortunately, this is the day when Vodafone has decided to turn everyone into a raging psychopath. A signal travels through the phone network and everyone who hears it turns into a maniac. Clay meets other survivors and they do battle against the zombies or phoners. Yep. (laughs) And try to get across country to rescue Clay's boy. While on their travels, they experience dreams of a raggedy man in a red hoodie who taunts them. Yep. And yep, that's about it. My tagline for this is, sell more like shit. <laughs> like this, like, do you know what? In the opening, so this is uh, Stephen King, it's setting up. So as the credits are rolling, you see you see so many people on their mobile phones. You're like, there's the guy with a shit on his phone. 
That doesn't happen. People aren't on their phones like that. Also, no one talks on their phone. They just text. Right, <laughs> WhatsApp. But the amount of people is like, John Cusack's phone runs out of battery and he has to use a pay phone. Well, that's mm. lucky because he doesn't get infected with the signal. I, do you know what, mate? It's fucking... Do you know what? For years you've been talking how bad it was. You've been talking about how bad it was. It, this film is so bad, it makes me question Stephen King because I don't get it because Stephen King, mate, all his... All of his adaptations are shit. I'm fi- you know, The Shining, mm. the one he doesn't like. I don't think he's very good. Right. I, the Cell, I don't understand how that Just Cell, been- let's not put a there in it, all right? It's just Cell. But, well, my problem with Cell is that, so I was reading reviews and people, people were saying it's such a bad adaptation. I was like, I don't know how it could have been a good one. But the, the, the thing is, right, so I, I realise I've already done this with the chessman man earlier by like dropping, oh, I've read the book and I know that that's really pretentious, but I, I have read all the Stephen King. I mean, as I look at you now, James, in the background, yeah, you, you're all a, the Stephen King. You're a Stephen King fan. However, this film, mate. Cell, made- Cell was an all right novel because it was about zombies and the opening sequence of the novel was very much like The Happening. Remember that M. Night Shyamalan movie? Yes. Like this character, he's lining up to buy an ice cream. He's like third in queue, and he does that John. It does John. It does that Stephen King thing, of um, you know, the character that you're is the inner monologue, the narrative doesn't know the names of the people in front of him or the people that are playing in the park next to him. Mm. So he calls them by thing, you know, so he's like, oh, headband girl in front of me is ordering so and so, and a dog walker in the park to my left, and so he's narrating what he's seeing, and then all this stuff starts happening, but it's very sort of to begin with, like little things like he can't get a signal on his phone and he's talking and he's like, is, did that guy just bite his dog? And then, and so you know something's happening and it was like the happening movie. Mm. How that started, it just, the film started with all this weird shit happening and you as the audience member are like, what the fuck? And you just got to go with it and, and just go with it. And the book I found like, it had this really strong opening and then by the end of the chapter, there's like planes falling from the sky. There's like people are eating each other and shit. And then, yeah, the, the thing with it is that you've already summed it up in your synopsis is you have to have a villain. It's just harder than a zombie movie. So they created this zombie wearing a red hoodie. Oh, I don't get it's it. It's like the main one. <laughs> but, it, but but what I love about this is, is, is he an alcoholic? I don't think he is an alcoholic, but there is some sort of unexplained telepathy because he's, he's haunting their dreams. He just shows up to laugh at him. I was just thinking, Oh, now, for God's sake, just take some fucking sleeping pills. What I do love about it. And this, this doesn't come across as if you study, you know, a graphic arts to become mm. a novelist, then you have fighting skills because uh, Christ knows how he survives. Him and Samuel L. Jackson, who is a who is a tram driver, <laughs> are, are like the ultimate survivalists. They were like, look, 1408 was so good. <laughs> we need to reunite and do this movie. <laughs> this film, mate, was as bad as you've advertised oh, it for is. years. And, and I, will, really... I will admit the ending of the film is nothing like the ending of the book. Mate, I do want, at least they did something with the ending of it because I was like, what's the fucking point? I'm going to ruin it for you. It has a bad ending. It, nothing actually... You can't ruin it, James, because that's that's the film's job. <laughs> and it does a very good job. Do you know what? I, it, I've never known a film do such a good job of making me less interested in their main character. <laughs> when, you, when you see John Cusack, and I love John Cusack. I think he's a great actor. I love some of his films. But let's be honest, he's not pulling in the best performances nowadays. Mm. And this wasn't that long ago. But when I've seen him running across, do you know what? I've just realised, I was like, I don't really give a shit. I really wanted him to die in a really non-zombie way, like trip over his shoelaces and break his neck because I would have thought, that's a really non-zombie way to go. Mate, and the pinnacle of this scene is when they're being chased by zombies and they hide under some brambles. Yeah. And then and then for no reason, the zombies all fucking try to connect to dialogue. <laughs> yep. They just open their mouths and start screeching. Because that, mate, 
Never explained. <laughs> see, see, yeah, this is the thing, isn't it? I mean, it's called Cell. Oh, it's so it, shit. <laughs> the, the ending as well is like, and I'm, I'm going to spoil it because actually this might work in the film's favour because people might think this is so weird that they're going to watch it. The ending, they think that if they brought one particular cell tower. Yeah, just one. Just one. Bear in mind, there must be thousands across the country. Yeah. It'll end the thing that connects all the zombies together. And do you know what? That doesn't make sense. But also, what I love about this is all the friends that he's, you know, got him this to this point, oh, fuck off. <laughs> yeah. Leave him. And so, and so he's going to do that by driving, I think it's an ice cream truck. It is an ice cream truck, which a crazy person gave to him who wouldn't sleep because the red man was in his dreams laughing. And he yeah. was like, oh, I don't want... He's got his eyelids off. I, no, I think that's a book thing. I, I don't think, think he does, he does book, this. yeah. So, because that would have been interesting. So, I don't the problem is, this, is this, this one cell tower is being um, guarded by thousands of zombies that are running around it in a big circle. Yes, and he just drives through them very slowly. But he doesn't because then it cuts to a scene where he's in the circle yeah. running, and you're supposed to think how, how, how must have blinked. Oh yeah, and at the end of the movie is he's in the circle running with them. Yeah, no, I get that. With yeah. His, with, yeah, and so the question is, did he ever actually do any of this stuff, or has he been a zombie the whole time? And oh, it's just been it a... makes you question that because my problem is, mate, my no, no, it makes you question why I've just fucking done it. <laughs> that's what I was like, why I watched the movie. Well, I think that's really good. It's like, has he always been like this? But well, I never thought that. I was just thinking, what's the fucking point? I just that remember, doesn't happen in the in the in the book. I remember what I remember about it is that he's been drawing pictures of the red zombie, the raggedy man, and I remember thinking at the end it didn't matter. No. <laughs> and I remember thinking that part of my brain, and I was writing my notes. I was just like, "What's the point?" <laughs> this is the thing with King, isn't it? Because he did the others around this time, like he did uh, the Mist, and the best thing about the Mist is the opening sequence where Tom Jane is painting pictures of the Dark Tower, yeah. and as a Stephen King fan, you're like, "That's fucking awesome!" Like we've got a Stephen King multiverse, which needs to happen at some point. Um, they've tried, man. Yeah, but they really need to try harder. <laughs> they need to do better. And then you, when you look at the end of that movie, it's like, ah, they all just kill themselves seconds before the Calvary turn up. Like, Stephen King did go through... The problem with it is, Stephen King went through a 90s phase that he describes as his airport novels, which are actually better than a lot of the, a lot of the books that have gone on to critical acclaim and turned into movies that are so beyond decent. It, you know, it... it but they, you know, I know that Castle Rock, I suppose, is the multiverse of Stephen King's world, but they, they give it like the, the Marvel universe or whatever, give it like 10 years, stop making Stephen King films, then slowly start bringing them together and like Netflix films or something like mm. that, because you could have so much fun, you know, with the Overlook Hotel, with Pennywise, all held together by the Dark Tower. It, it's, if you're doing Roald Dahl now, Stephen King is, is something to look that into. That would be cool. But unfortunately, Sal... So- not for me. And do you know what? I've saw it on Amazon. It's not for anyone, mate. It's only I don't. It was very disappointing. Um, gonna close the show then. Last film to talk about is uh, the new release. We always save new releases towards the end of the episode just in case you are planning to go watch it. Now we're not gonna spoil it, I'm not gonna say anything that is a spoiler. Just gonna talk about Venom, uh, Let There Be Venom, Carnage. Venom 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 Venom. Is that song in it? Uh, no, but I think I'm not Eminem, I think Eminem does do the post credit uh song in this film is it is it do you remember when you came out of watching venom for the first time and mm. you didn't question like what was that film called to do that venom, like, venom, 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 venom 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 carnage he's directed by andy circus it stars tom hardy again woody harrelson naomi harris uh, michelle williams and stephen graham no hey. one was more surprised than i had seen stephen graham in this movie really because he's in the trailers i know and that's <laughs> when i started being surprised and i was surprised all the way to the end of this movie but a lot of the film was shot in london which was a it was shot, sorry, in in the UK, which was uh, Andy Serkis' demand for doing the movie. Nice. Which I think probably explains the heavy British Good. Uh, talent on screen. And then obviously some scenes in San Francisco. This is part of that San Francisco branch of Marvel. You know, when New York's busy, yeah. you know, Ant-Man and everyone else just goes to San Francisco. 
Suddenly just drew a line across. Only so much can happen in New York. <laughs> yeah. Eddie Brock returns uh, with his alien parasite, the symbiote Venom uh, that lives inside him, this jackal and hide relationship that they have. Uh, events from the first, uh, sorry, which was, was told through the first movie. Eddie hopes to bring back his career um, as being a reporter and he thinks his way in to do so is to get the scoop on the soon-to-be-executed uh, Cletus Cassidy, played by Woody Harrelson, who's a serial killer with many of his uh, murders, victims and crimes yet to be uh, solved. Cletus becomes the host of a new symbiote when the two interact. It's in the trailer, Woody Harrelson bites Tom Hardy, uh, creating carnage. When the two break free, they set sights on revenge of the red one versus the black one. Fair enough. Easy to remember. Yeah, it's, it's you know, there's, there are a few other things in there. There's a sub storyline about a relationship. Um, the film plays out exactly as you think it would. Is that correct? It is. Yeah. Now, right. So here's what I'm going to say about this movie. It's not. It's not great by any standards. Like you're not yeah. going to go into this going like it's 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 no. It's not a top comic book hero film. Like Venom. Like the first one. Yeah. So it's an alright film. It has plenty to enjoy. It has plenty to get excited about. The visual effects are somewhat stunning. There is particularly a end fight sequence that is really good. It's yeah. questionable. There are characters, again, climbing stairs that I just wanted to scream, why are you climbing up? You will run out of stairs at some point, which is one of my big things in films. But it, you can't deny it visually. And Andy Serkis is the guy to bring that to life. Yeah. So they really do those bits really well. The You know, the, the film though does rely heavily on the chalk and cheese relationship of Venom and Eddie Brock's character that make the film through two thirds of it more of a breakup movie no. than a fucking horror slash comic uh, no, adventure film. It plays heavily on this, you know, one can't live without the other, but they need to go their separate ways because one wants to have a life and, you know, win back the love of his life. The other one wants to eat brains and I wonder which one's which. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so it plays out like a breakup movie for the first two thirds of the movie. Like it, it steals tropes from those kind of movies. You know, Venom being like, I don't need you anymore. And Eddie's like, fine, slams the door. And they separate, they go separate ways. Which is often seen in sequel movies. You know, the, the, when the, the two characters is, split. Doing dance that we saw in the first movie. So. Yeah, and so you do get these sequences of Venom going off on his own and doing, you know, and attaching to new people or whatever it is. And Eddie trying to get his life back together. And you get Woody Harrelson, unfortunately not good Woody Harrelson. You oh, get... that's, that's disappointing because of all the casting in any comic book film, this was near perfect. I see, I don't think he was. Killers Woody Harrelson. I don't think he was. I think, I've... I don't think he was. I, you know, okay, so they changed the hairstyle from the end of the first movie. So he looks less like Carrot Top and more. That's good. Yeah, that's which positive. is fine, but he still doesn't pull it off. Like Woody Harrelson is, you know, he is aging. That's you know, and he has a very thing. noticeable wig on, you know, and, and, it doesn't feel like prime Woody Harrelson throughout this movie. I think from, I don't know anything about the comics. I, I've got a friend that I went with who knows everything about the comics and he was happy. And I think that's maybe the biggest thing is that, that so that, you know, he is like, he wears Venom on his clothing. He's like, like mad into, into yeah, the I've character. Met, I've met Karim. I know. You know the guy. <laughs> and, and you know, so he wanted to go to the IMAX opening night to see it. Like this is his movie. The, the, you know, this to him is Star Wars to me, that kind of thing. And he liked it. So that means in my eyes, the people that this is made for yeah. will really, really enjoy it. it. Does have some issues with it from the source material. So Carnage and uh, Cliz Cassidy are supposed to be so in sync, um, you know that. Whereas we are Venom is the line that Eddie and Venom say. Yeah, Carnage would say I am Venom because they are one and the same person. Yeah, that's and cool. It doesn't have that feel to it. Them ah, two okay. clash throughout the movie. 
you have Naomi uh, Harris's character Shriek, which again, if you've got a character who right from the beginning is introduced that you know it's she a new can character. She's in the comic books, yeah. Oh, okay. Because like, I don't know who that world. is. So. so she can admit a high-pitched noise. Okay. Now, when you know that that is Venom's only weakness, yep. it, you know where the storyline's going before the film fucking starts. <laughs> so it... But right, it's 90 minutes. Is it? In, very know. short. Oh, my God. That surprises it's the hell out of me. very short. When we got to the end, I was like, we're not here already. Like, it, it felt so fast. Jesus Christ. And it's edited very quick. Like, it's like... Um, will you go to the prison? No, I don't want to. Go to the prison. I'm at the prison. We're doing the interview. It's, it, there is no room for fucking wiggle. Ooh. There's like one scene where you get um, Tom Hardy kind of ad-libbing um, and, and playing off Venom and, and it kind of slows the movie down a little bit. But in between that, it's like, fast get forward. to here, get to that, go to this, go to motorbike. And it's very, very fast. It's a very fast movie. Um, it's, it is entertaining. Some of the effects are great in it. Carnage looks amazing. Wasn't as carnage as I thought he would be. Yeah. Like his name is Carnage. I do you know what? This all sounds, I've got to be honest here, pretty disappointing. I, no, don't get me wrong. I, it, like, I, the 90 minutes thing is good. It, oh, well, God, it's, it's worth it for the end. The end sequence is pretty spectacular. Yeah. Um, it's also good and refreshing to see an anti-hero on screen because you get so saturated by the good guy all the time. Yeah. That, that's why I'm drawn more to characters like Venom and the Punisher and those where their morals are questionable. Mm. You know, rather than, you know, your daredevils and those kind of things where it's like, I fucking love the law. It's, you know, like, it's good to see a character who's like, let me go eat some fucking brains. <laughs> and it has these horror tones. You know, the end is in a church, in a cathedral. Like, it, it's lifted from the horrors that I love. You know, so there, there's a lot to it to enjoy. It, I didn't realise how much of a comedy it is as well. Yeah. It is, it's a romance comedy film, a breakup movie comedy film, more than a comic book film. It's really weird to explain. Like tonally, I think if you if you don't like that, if you don't like the comedy, and you don't like the fact that it plays hand in hand with a breakup film, you're gonna you might be somewhat disappointed because it doesn't it does it's not it's not Venom taking on swarms of villains and yeah that kind of stuff you know. Um, but it wasn't saying the effects look great. There's a lot of like Venom coming out of Tom Hardy, like you know, like a worm and speaking to him. Well, my biggest pet in any comic book film is when everyone takes their mask off to talk to each other. So, yeah. but, so do you know what? The only one that can get away with it is when the symbiotes attach you and it can look at you. Mm. So do you know what? That gets a pass. Those, those scenes are really good. Yeah. And you know, there's this, the, the, some of the comedy is great. It's in the trailer. There's a scene where Tom Hardy receives some bad news and Venom's like, don't worry, pal, I'll look after you. And he's trying to cook a dinner. He's trying to cook a breakfast. Yeah. While Tom Hardy's trying to read the paper. So you've got all these strands of Venom trying to cook eggs so and cool. do coffee. And it has them elements to it that are really funny. And, but it does branch off as well when Venom does his own thing. Yeah. And there is a moment where I, I genuinely thought he was going to do karaoke in this scene. I was like, oh my God, I'm about to see Venom do karaoke in a bar. You know, in so, hindsight, do you wish that happened? Kind of do, actually. <laughs> kind of do. It was good. I'm not going to say it was bad. I did enjoy it. There's so much entertainment in it and action towards the end of the movie. Um, Tom, Tom Hardy's okay in it. Venom is awesome in it. Yeah. It has one of the best post credit scenes to get you excited about the MCU again. Cool. Um, it's It's got so much to it. So stick around. There is a post-credit scene. Most is definitely it, stick is around. Is it right at the end? No, no, it's half through. There you go. Yeah, so you yeah. saw it. And did you stick around to the right end? No. I Googled it before I went in how many cool. it was. So, so that's, do you know what? I quite like that when you have to sit right until the end. Yeah. It's always important to know that as well. We've but, told you. Yeah, I, I've, I'm just careful. I don't want to sound negative. I'm very much on the fence with this. It, like, I've read a review that said it's not perfect, but it's fun. And I think that is probably the best example of the movie. Do you know what I have to know when you highlighted the positives? It's one of those films where I think, I do you know what I think 
you're going to hear bad and good about it. And I think ultimately it's, it's probably best for you to decide. Yeah, and that's that's what the first one did. Critics were not kind. Audiences were very kind. It's the highest box office R-rated movie to come out. I think Deadpool... Did it beat Deadpool and then Halloween kill uh, Halloween beat it afterwards no. in the October release? See, I'm just I'm I'm just gonna say that the first one was the biggest problem was editing because there was a whole chunk of that film missing because at one minute they're arguing in the first one, the second one he's like, I'm a loser like you, let's be friends. I'm just like, it was a half an hour sequence mm. that they've just cut out. Yeah, uh, I, th- I think it does play well on the source material to to some extent. There's a lot of like afterwards, Karim was you know diehard fan was like, oh, that's really good, and they mentioned this like the hive, which is a big thing in the comics. They talk about like the lethal protectors, you know, which is a, again a strand of comic book. So they've done, you know, it does. I it think does it does not to tease you with. There's more coming, mm. and it's loyal to the source material. I just there's a part of me though that thinks, I see my problem Carnage is-, is such a good villain. Yeah, and they brought him in the sequel. That I know that they wanted him in the first movie, but then they could have done what Spider-Man Three did, which was shoe on too many villains in. Yes, the, I mean the Tobey Maguire one. Um, so I don't know. I don't know whether Carnage. To me, I was expecting this villain to be like the more like Thanos level been. of like. Do you yeah. want, but but you never know what's going to happen in the future. Yeah, who knows? I mean, the symbiotes, you know, and and, and mm. this one was created by a serial killer biting Eddie Brock, and, and you know the source material is so vast, isn't it? And different storylines and different strands and everything. Yeah, exactly. So who, who knows what's going to happen? Everyone's got an origin story. It does very much lead to the idea that there will be a third one with a new uh, character introduced towards the end of the movie. That's not the post credit scene. A, a character. Uh, certainly gives you the idea that they may be the next villain in the next movie. So, it's, it's, it, yeah, it was good. I did enjoy it. I, would I go watch it again? No. When it comes out on, on uh, Sky Cinema, I will watch it again. Um, I would say that if you're into Marvel films, if you're into uh, comic book movies, definitely go watch it. You're probably already going to go watch it. And if you just want a nine-minute adventure action movie, you know, it stars Tom Holland. It, Tom Holland does this thing where he, he all the way through it, yeah, he's wearing the Lions... Um, NFL jacket that Axel Foley wears in Beverly Hills Cop. Cool. And the t-shirt that Axel Foley wears in Beverly Hills Cop 2. You're trying to say, is, is he the, is Axel Foley the character introduced at the end of the film? No, but I don't know why he does that. I don't know. I don't get the reference. Like this is in San, San Francisco. Francisco. You know, I, so I don't get it. I don't get why Tom Hardy well, dresses you, like did you not Axel read, Foley. Did you not read Venom issue 143? You're Mate, right. You're right. It could, it could be something so inside line. I don't get it. But anyway, um, yeah, that's that movie. So loads of films to talk about this week. Yeah. We're a, we're a, we're a, we're a good smorgasbord again. Well, mine was a themed smorgasbord. End of the show, uh, we put the movies that we love and the best of all time into the vault. Any movie that you've talked about this week, vault-worthy? They're not, but do you know what? I, special mention. So I know I'm going to put them in the vault. I'm not going to protect them for future reference, uh, future generations. However, I would recommend Girl on the Third Floor and I would highly recommend The Perfection because I really like the world. I really like the stories and the acting in it is sublime. Yeah, same with me. Nothing going in the vault this week. I think if you're looking for a movie to watch at the cinema, I think everyone's going to enjoy Venom. Young, old. Oh, it's 15, but, you know, young, old, dates, everything. There's enough in there for everyone. It, it's a smorgasbord of genres in that movie. I think if you're going to watch it from, from home and you're a cinema fan, watch Attack of the Hollywood Clichés. It's just Rob Lowe just being fun. So I'm, I'm going to tell you, Russ, I'm going to watch that this week. And if you, I would say watch The Guilty if you haven't already. I think watch The Guilty... And try and unpick it as more of a um, less less of a, a story about uh, an individual who's been abducted and more a character study. It's, it's quite it's quite a good piece of work. Yep, yep. <sighs> Don't forget to like subscribe. Well, what about the pit, mate? Oh shit! Yeah, the pit sell. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what? I know. I know. You've told me not to watch it. 
But I, it's one of those films that you've hated so much for so long. I needed to see it. I needed to hate I, it myself. <laughs> I remember watching Salad. I think I'd watched something and it was already like midnight. And I thought, oh, I could watch this and go to bed at two in the morning. Or I could just leave it. And I remember watching it. I remember being fucking fuming. <laughs> <laughs> I'd waited I've been up until like two in the morning the end sequence I was so mad at how stupid it is <laughs> like, so do you know what I, I'd, I'd pit it because yeah, it's, 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 it's so bad it made me think of a whole genre was bad it's tainted it's the tainted problem, me the problem with the pit is when you throw it in there the rule is we're not allowed to talk about it ever again but I think there's so much more abuse we can throw at that film <laughs> that's true it yeah. really, do you know what great one when we get a lot more listeners We'll do a play-by-play play of it, maybe. We'll go yeah. we'll go fishing in the pit, see what we get. Oh, terrible. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, if you like this episode, don't forget to like, subscribe. You will get a new episode each and every week. And if you're on social media, don't forget to try and find us at S-Y-I-M-S underscore podcast. That's sorry, you're in my seat. Underscore podcast, S-Y-I-M-S. Uh, yeah, let us know. Next week, I don't know. We, we we might be able to sneak in a bit more Halloween before the end of the yeah, month. Yeah, maybe have a bit of a play with something. I, I, you know, I might go classic because we, we haven't actually talked about Scream. If it's on anything, I might have a good, yeah. good screen. And I would have seen a few more Halloweens between now and then anyway. So, go, so we'll see what happens between now and then. So we'll see you shortly. If I don't see you later, good afternoon, good evening, good night. Goodbye.